Um, let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, I thank you, you know, for, for just those precious words that we sang, to be able to speak of your name and to honor it and to give it glory, and, and not just to, to say it, but, for, Father, to really feel it in our hearts, that your name is above all other names, that there's no other name that we bow before but Jesus, Lord. And as we go to your word this morning, I ask you to open hearts, Father, to know that you are speaking to us, the one who is worthy, the one who we just sang and gave praise to. You have a message for each and every one of us here, and, and God, we don't want to leave here without hearing that truth, something for today, something for, for this week, Lord, something just for our faith, whether it's encouragement or challenge. Father, we want to hear it from you. So I thank you, God, and give myself to that. In thy name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I have been, for my devotions, I have been reading through uh, the Bible in a year. I've just started it in January. I'm doing it chronologically. And um, I, are, is anyone else doing that, reading through, trying to read through the Bible in a year? We've got quite a few people. Okay, so you're probably about the same place I am in the reading. And the past three weeks, and my whole time on vacation, and I looked ahead in these three weeks to come, we're in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and we're in a section that for about six weeks here, that it's just talking about laws, laws upon laws, and, and regulations, and, and descriptions of, of how to do this, and this various um, you know, sacrifice and, and how to, you know, honor this holy day. And I got to be honest, it, it is somewhat tedious, uh, you know, at this time. I, you know, I was on vacation, I got my Bible, and beautiful weather out, I'm sitting out on the deck, and, you know, and I'm going to have my devotions, and I get to read about infectious diseases. And if it's white, you know, and has a hair growing in it, you have to go to the priest, and you have to, and I'm just, I it's just hard to go away with something for the day, <laughs> I have to say. And so, so I, I've actually, you know, since it's been three weeks, even before I went on vacation, I, I really asked myself, why? Why, Lord, we have this long section. Why? What is it about? I mean, what is the purpose of all these endless guidelines, these laws, these restrictions, the instructions, you know, that you're, you're, you're giving there? Well, let's think about it in its context for just a moment here. Um, this whole section here, if you remember, Israel, God's chosen people, they have just been freed from 430 years of Egyptian slavery. You know, the Egyptians had subjected them to their laws, to their immoral standards, you know, to their false gods to, to their beliefs, to their religions. You know, and it's one thing to kind of run up to it, you know, when you go to work and you bump up to all these false things or, you know, somebody who's worshiping a false god and, you know, for us we can walk it away. But, but, but think of it, 430 years, generation after generation after generation being indoctrinated in the Egyptian way. And you come to this point and God's people... They, they've kind of lost their identity. You know, they, they've only known the Egyptian way, and now God is calling him. He has called them out. I heard of a, a mother 
once was describing her three-year-old son and, and saying that the other day, he, said he walked around the outside of their house and with a hammer, he broke all of the windows in the basement. And, and the mother gra- takes her son and says, why, son, why did you do this? And he simply looked at her and said, you never told me not to do it. And in a way, when God delivered his people, Israel, from bondage, Israel could genuinely say, we don't know what to do. We don't know what not to do. We don't know what God wants of us. All those years of indoctrination and now to know the true God. And so what God does, <coughs> excuse me here, he leads them to Mount Sinai, the mountain of the law where the law of God was given, and he delivers to them his laws. And, and probably the capsulization of those laws are what we know as the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We're actually going to be there this morning. If you want to go ahead and you want to start turning there right now, Exodus chapter 20. But he takes them there to this mountain, and I think they're for about a year They are camped around the mountain, and God is basically saying, now I have told you. Now I've told you in in all detail. And a lot of those were were Jewish-type laws. They were specifically to the Jewish people. Some were laws of morality. Some were laws of of how to do sacrifices and laws of, you know, how how to worship him. But I want to take us this morning to Exodus chapter 20 to kind of answer that question of why, why all these laws? Why does he tell his people, why does he tell us so many things? Exodus chapter 20. Again, he's setting forth his law to his people. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments here. As he does this, excuse me, as he does this, he reminds them that he has a right to do this. Right out of the gate, Exodus chapter 20 it says in verse 1 and 2, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to put these verses up. Exodus 1 and 2 says, God, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He makes it very clear. I am your God. I am the Lord. I am the, the word Lord there is word. Remember when we looked at the names of God? It's the word Yahweh. I am the self-existence one. I am the great I am. These are God's words that he's given you here. These aren't opinions. God is about to speak here. He is your creator. He's, he's, his existence is in you. The law that God is making is God's law. I am God, and I brought you out of Egypt, out of the 430 years of slavery. You were trapped. You had no way out. You were slaves. So God says, I have brought you out. Folks, that statement that he makes in the very beginning here, declaring his right to pretty much give the direction to his people, it holds special meaning to New Testament Christians today. Because in that same relationship that Israel experienced with God, if you're a Christian today, he is experiencing that same relationship with us. Yahweh is still our God. He is still the self-existent one. He is still the great I am. These are God's words that we read here. These are God's laws. This is God's regulation. Everything that we read in his word, we need to remember this is coming from the mouth of God. This is what people think about God. This is what God is saying about God, what God wants us to know 
about him. Um, we were in great bondage, if you think about it, no different than Israel. Before you were a Christian, you were in a, I was in a great bondage to sin. Whether you were saved at the age of 7 or, or 15 like I was, or 20 or 30, 40, 50, those years before were years in bondage. We were trapped. We had no way out. There's no way that we could save ourselves. Literally, we were slaves. Romans seven fourteen says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I am sold under sin. My wrong, my disobedience has sold me into slavery. But for you and I, God sent a deliverer. That deliverer is Jesus Christ. He came to suffer. He came to die. He came to bring us out of bondage, to pay our debt, to free us. And just like Moses was Israel's physical redeemer to take them out of Egypt, Jesus Christ is our spiritual redeemer to deliver us to God. And God now asserts his claim the same claim that he had upon Israel, he has upon our lives. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the, the house of slavery. And so once he makes this clear of who he is, this God that is speaking, then he goes and he, he, he begins to speak what we have you know, dubbed the Ten Commandments. And he starts in the first of those four, and we're just going to skip them very quickly because the real reason we're here is to talk about why we have these laws. Why does God tell us what to do and, and what not to do? Whether it's here, whether it's in the New Testament, what, why does God do this? Okay, so the first laws he gives us is laws concerning God. First of all, it says he is supposed to be our object of worship. Verse 3 says, you shall have no other God before me. No other God before me. He wasn't just talking about the choice of our religion. Well, am I going to be Buddhist, or am I going to be Muslim, or am I going to be Christian? He's not just talking about that. Worship is, is, is a reflection of value. God is supposed to be our highest value. You shall have no other God before me. Nothing it should be higher than our value that we have upon God. That's the first commandment. Second commandment, I want you to know how to worship me. In verse 4, says, you shall make, not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He wants no idols, no man-made interpretations of what he is. He reveals to us who he is and, and what he is. And we're to make no, and any likeness that we can make of God from man's hands, no matter how great we might view it, would really diminish the name of God because nothing can properly represent the name of God. He said, you'll not make an idol for yourself. Number three, he says, I want your respect. Verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Folks, I'm so thankful for the worship team and, and the songs and the worship they just led us in concerning the name of Jesus, that there is no other name. His name is to be holy. His name in our hearts is supposed to be lifted up within us and, and externally. The name of God is, is holy, and it should be used in that sense. It's not a, a name that we, we say when we're angry or, or we want to curse somebody or just kind of a filler word, you know, when we don't know what to say and, or, or you know, we type in those initials or whatever. 
That all diminishes God's name. And we're supposed to have a, a respect, a reverence for the name of God. Number four. He says, I want you to set aside, I want you to preserve a very special day for me. Verse eight. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work at all. Okay, so he, again, from his very creative process of six days of creation and then that day of rest, he talks about, you know, there, there's plenty of time out there for those things that I've given you to do as far as work and family and all of those. He says, I want a day for me, a day that, that you're focused on me, that it's not distracted by all these other things. So you have these first four commandments. Now the next six kind of deals with laws concerning our interaction, you know, interacting with, with man. So he talks about, first of all, our duty to our family in verse 12. He says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. That's our duty to our family. We need to honor our parents. That's, we, we talked a little bit about that in the men's ABF about what it means to, to, to give that honor. It's, it's something that's proactive. You know, it's not just, okay, they're my parents, but giving them that respect, it, it, it's something that, that, that we seek to do. He goes on. He talks about respect for other people's lives. In verse 18, we'll go a little bit quicker here. In verse 18, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 13, he says, you shall not murder. That's a pretty obvious one. Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. In verse 14, moral purity. He talks about how we're supposed to respect other people's property, saying you shall not steal in verse 15. In verse 16, he says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, he talks about that we, we should give that a, a good name, not gossip and slander and, and lies and exaggerations. You know, but, but you know, don't bear false witness against your neighbor in honesty, a truthfulness. Then finally, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or, your, or his male servants or female servants or his ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to his neighbor. He talks about covetousness, of, of, of you know, that, that jealousy that drives us of seeing what other people have. Now, it's interesting. I was thinking about these laws, and, and I believe, this is just personally, I believe that these laws were originally written on man's heart at creation. At the creation of man, Adam and Eve, that these laws were written on their heart. When God created man, man knew what to do. Man knew what not to do. It was just part of our DNA. We didn't have to think about it. We didn't have to go look it up. We didn't have to wrestle with it. It was just part of how God created us. And God's joy and his love was to fellowship with us. Sinless, perfect. Sin ruined all of that. You know, our consciences are seared. Our old nature fights, even as a Christian, our old nature fights us tooth and nail. These laws, I believe, aren't so much written in our heart right now. We have these laws in our mind. We know what they are, but it's not the same. You know, one day it will be. One day we will be restored back to that where it'll be our part of our DNA, where God won't have to say the do's and the don'ts and all of that because we will know. We will just know. How do we know? We just know because we will, will have been created like that. One day it's all going to be changed. One day we're going to be back the way God originally created it. 
Because God, once again, is going to write these things upon our hearts. Now, I said the, the purpose of us looking at these here is, is I want us to take note on how God's people reacted as God presented his laws, as God was telling them what to do and what not to do. And again, if you're there in Exodus chapter 20, we're not going to put these up on the uh, projector, but I want you to go to verse 18, and I want to read 18 through 21. It says, All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And though people saw it, they trembled, and they stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached in the thick cloud where God was with him. So, so we know here that, that God for Israel, as they've been traveling through the wilderness up until the time they came to the mountain, God has appeared to Israel in many forms. He, he appeared to him in a cloud. At night, he appears to him in fire. But here they are around Mount Moriah, the, the mountain of the law, and God is speaking to them and giving them the law. And he doesn't appear to them in those familiar you know, figures that they've already seen here. But he appears to them, it says, in thunder and in the lightning and there are trumpets and the smoke is pouring out from the mountain. What a powerful scene. Why is God revealing himself like this as he is giving them the laws? Well, the answer is in what we just read here. He wanted them to fear him. Again, think about this. He has just laid out these ten great commandments. And he wants obedience. This wasn't just, hey, come to see the show. He wanted them to do something. He wanted them to change their lives. He wanted them to reorder their lives, what they had been indoctrinated with in, in this, that secular culture of the Egyptians. He wanted them to be different. And he wanted them to be obedient. He said, fear will be with you and keep you from sinning. In other words, he wanted them to fear him so they'd obey, so they wouldn't fall into sin. Kind of interesting, if you, if you do the Hebrew study of that word fear there, just in our context. In verse 20, when it says fear not, it's that Hebrew word to mean afraid. He's telling them, don't be afraid as in, you know, uh, you know like I, I, I can't approach her, I want to run away from him. That's the word it uses here. He says, fear not, but then it talks about that he wants you to have his fear. And it's the word yare, Y-A-W-R-A-Y, and it means reverence. He said, don't be afraid, but you need to be reverent of God. You need to have a, a holy reverence. And that's not just, oh, okay, you know, God's there. I'm, you know, I mean, he's talking about awe. Have you ever been in awe of something? Have you ever just stood there and, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, this whole scene with the mountain, I mean, smoke is pouring out from this mountain, you know, and lightning and flashing and, you know, trumpets are blowing. And again, they didn't say Israel wasn't blowing the trumpets. These trumpets are being sounded from the heavens. I mean, this is an, an awe-inspiring scene. 
And he gave them the laws and the context of this so that they would have this, this holy reverence of him. When they beheld God, they could not stand before him and his holy reverence. It just fell upon him. And that's exactly what God wanted, this holy reverence. And you see it all through Scripture. When, when the great prophet Isaiah, remember, he is whisked into heaven. He's allowed to see God sitting upon his throne. Remember what he does? He, he cries, woe is me, for I am undone. For mine eyes have seen the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's just seen God. And I, there was a holy fear, a reverence upon him. You think about it at Christ's transfiguration. Remember when Peter, James, and John, you know, they go up into the mountain with Christ, and, and there they witness Christ, again, in his human form. <coughs> Excuse me, and he's talking to Moses, and he's talking to Elijah. And, it, and the disciples are standing off to the side, these three disciples, they're standing off to the side, and they're watching Jesus talk, you know, to, to Moses and Elijah. What a, what a neat scene. I mean, you know, I don't know who our heroes are. It'd be like, you know, us maybe seeing someone like, you know, Abraham Lincoln or, you know, some other great person who has passed on. And, wow, that, oh, that, that was special. But they're just standing there watching them. But suddenly it says a cloud descends upon them. And Jesus Christ is suddenly, he is transformed. Trans, that's why I call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transformed into his holiness into his godness, that which he had kind of, you know, put at bay to take on human form, suddenly it all comes out. And God begins to speak. And Matthew says that these disciples, here are these disciples who they've been with Christ for a long time. They're standing there watching him. He's talking to Moses and Elijah. It says, when they heard it, they fell on their faces and they were afraid. They heard God and they fell on their faces. A holy reverence. When Jesus was, you know, talking to Moses and Elijah, they just stood there and they watched. I'm sure it was quite a scene. Great. Well, you know, some of their heroes. But when God spoke, there was a reverence about them. Verse 20 says that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. See, these, this whole connection of why we have all of these laws, why is God telling us all these things? He wants us to have that fear of him and to keep us from sinning. He wants us to be obedient. You know, I think, you know, as Christians, we might be a little bit like those disciples that went up on the mountain who, you know, so familiar with Jesus, they've been traveling with him for some time. How long have you been a Christian traveling with Jesus? You know, going down this road, you know, they see Jesus. He's talking to Moses and Elijah, and wow, you know, that's great. We're, we're impressed, but that, that God, God needs more. God is more. And, and, and we find ourselves, we hear God's word so much. You know, it's, we like hearing God's word, but often we're just turning a deaf ear to it. I mean, when God speaks... I mean, here it is. God is speaking to Israel. There is a holy reverence that fell upon them. And we, we become so casual and used to so many of the things of God in our life. I mean, God's provision, you know, it just becomes old hat with us. You know, our, our, our hearts withdraw in thankfulness of all these things that he brings into our lives. 
You know, especially us living in the United States, a, a, a true thankfulness for what we have versus, a, you know, entitlement. Think about this. Do we even consider it a privilege to serve God anymore? And when you serve God, you know, just for context here, let's just talk about it within the church. You know, if you, that you're on a, a committee, the missions committee, or you're a deacon, or or an elder, or, or the hospitality committee, or, or you're working with the children on Wednesday nights, or, or, or helping out and doing something else in the ministries here. Do we consider that a privilege? Thank you, God, that I can come here and serve you. It becomes so easy for us to lose that holy reverence and appreciation that God would accept something from my hand of my time and, and my service. You see, you know, God wants that, ho- that, that holy reverence and fear in our hearts. I mean, even Moses, when he beheld the burning bush, remember, he drew away from God, and God spoke, he said, put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. We lose that. We lose that sense of the, the holiness and coming before God. There are there's those who come to church week in, week out, And we hear the word of God and we walk away with no fear. No reverence to what God has said. And the claim that he has placed upon our life. And, 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 you know, we like to hear it. But we're missing something in our hearts that takes it from our head down into our heart. His word. And that is that reverence. You see, if, if you don't really fear God, it's because you really don't know him. If you don't fear God, you're not going to be oh, obedient to him. That, that, and I'm talking about that reverence, not that fear that always oh, going to smack us if we don't do something, but that God is God. You know, why is it that churches everywhere, Christians everywhere, in the United States, we would be described, I think so many describe us like the Laodicean church in Revelations chapter 3, where God says, I, I wish you were re- either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. I want to just spew you out of my mouth. I'm just so, just so tired of that. I mean, we would think the opposite, you know, the opposite of hot would be to cold, to be told cold. No, the worst thing to be is to be lukewarm and inattentiveness. And we know what it feels like that when somebody is speaking, or excuse me, when you're speaking to somebody, you know what it feels like if they're, you know, you're, they're, ta- they're listening to you and they're kind of looking away, you know, and they're kind of, ah, you know, and you're going, and they keep coming back, and they're giving you lip service, to listening in here. You, 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 you feel how rude that is in your heart? Do we do any different to God? As we read his word, and whether it's in our devotions or whether in our, our ABFs or the church service here, I mean, how many times have we, we heard God, he speaks to us, and we walk away? You know, we do not fear God because we don't know him. And in this context of giving his holy law to God's people, he pulled back the blinders. He revealed himself in the smoke of the mountain and the thunder and the lightning and, and as much as they could even take in. And that was just a, you know, a small physical demonstration of it. God wanted them to revere him because with that reverence came obedience and a stepping away from sin. The great, strong, powerful locomotive uh, was speeding down the track. I mean, think of it, if you've ever stood by a railroad track and you had a train go by, I mean, you could feel the ground just shaking. 
I mean, smoke is pouring out of its chimney. You know, the, the earth is giving way to its weight. But as you watch it, suddenly this great locomotive, just the brakes begin to screech. And, and as it's coming down there, it, it, it comes to a dead halt as it locks its brakes up. Out jumps the engineer. And he walks to the front of the track. And there you see him on, on the one railroad track. There's a small ant. And that ant is standing there, shaking his fist at the locomotive, defying it. And so the, the engineer just takes that ant and kind of sweeps him off and you know, puts him off in the weeds. And he goes back and he gets in his locomotive. And he turns around. What does he see? He sees that ant crawling back up, pulling himself up on that railroad uh, tie and standing there and, and shaking him his fist at the locomotive. Tons of steel and immovable force and this little ant standing there shaking its fist. Folks, I, I think if we could see things from God's perspective and our relationship with him and our disobedience sometimes and, and our kind of not taking things seriously, spiritual things, I think that's kind of a picture of it. Because to really know God is to have a reverence, a true reverence for him. And when I have a reverence for God, from that comes obedience. Obedience to God is directly tied to having a reverence of him. One day, you know, or excuse me, our day-to-day -day sin, it's very much tied to our reverence to that, that holy fear of our God. In a good sense, I'm saying that this is God who has, has called us, who has died for us, who has brought us into him, his kingdom, who has made us a child of his. And when we forget that, it's so easy to just kind of yawn at what God says for our life and for morality and for how we're supposed to live. Moses told the people of Israel that God came to test and to prove them. And I think God is trying to test and prove each and every one of us today. Do we fear God? Do you still have a holy reverence for God? You know, I struggle at times. I have people all the time do this to me, and I understand this. They will come to me and they say, I have an old Bible. I just got a new one. I have an old Bible I'm not using. I don't know how to get rid of it because I don't want to throw it in the garbage. You know, what do we do with it? And, and, you know, is there that sense of this is the word of God that is speaking to us? That it's not just we're, we're so comfortable with it in our lives and being there with us that we just take all these things for granted? To fear God, to know God is to fear him. To fear him is to obey him. Now I want to kind of make a tie for us here, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to close with this. I would like you all in your Bibles or in your telephones, whatever you have there, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 with me, if you would. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to close the service. Once you get there, I want you to stand together with me. In Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read verses 18 through 29. It's a rather long portion of Scripture, but it is drawing back to this, what we have been talking about, the giving of the Ten Commandments, you know, the, the holy mountain and all of this, and the fear and the reverence of God. <coughs> Go ahead and get that turn there, if you will, and I want to read that for us. <clears throat> I 
It says, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire into darkness and gloom and whirlwinds and to the blast of the trumpet and the sound of the words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn who was enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of all righteousness made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. Let me just stop there. We're gonna, I mean, he didn't say, hey, God hasn't given him your, the reverence upon you because he brought you to a mountain, and there was lightning and thunder and smoke and earth, the earth shook and all that. No, he has brought you, you and I as Christians, to something that is even greater. He has brought us to an assembly of his promises that he has given us. The church of the firstborn, enrolled in heaven, you know, spirits of righteousness made us perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, his blood being shed, which speaks better than the blood of Abel that cries out. That is the scene that God gives us to bring reverence to him, what he has done for us, what he has personally given for you. It's supposed to call that, cause that reverence within our life. He doesn't give us this, this external that he did with Israel. He gives us this, this great internal, what he has done for our hearts. So it goes on in verse 25. It says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, again referring back to Israel, back to the mountain, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. In other words, he's going to make all things new. That promise, that truth, that one day all of this is going to end, that our focus shouldn't be on the, the, uh, you know, the, the immediate, it should be on the eternal. That's what his call is to. This expression, yes, once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of the created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain, the eternal things. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That is what God wants of us. He is that exact same, that same reverence, that, that holy fear of him, that awe, that consumingness of who God is in our life that he wanted for Israel, he wants for us. He does it through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, God died for you. God gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. My hope, the promise that he has given that one day all these temporal things are going to be removed. And the only thing, the only thing that is going to matter is what is eternal. What is of, of Jesus Christ. And so as we come, you know, to God, as we go through this life, you know, you know that helps us separate what's important as a Christian. What is eternal versus what is, you know, is going to pass away. 
Does that give us the, the, the reverence of God, give us that ability to make those decisions? When we don't know God, when we don't have that great appreciation for what he does, when we lose that awe of him, we lose our obedience. We use our, lose our ability for him to speak to us through his word, to guide us and direct us, because when he speaks, we yawn or we're, we're consumed with something else. God has called us to a holy reverence of him. It's from that, as a believer, that we serve him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you. First of all, that you would choose to have a relationship with me. And Father, you would look down and you would give yourself your word, your your blood, Father, you would give it to me that I might have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would teach each and every one of us to fear you. Father, to know you in a way that we are, you know, in our hearts either bowing before you or our knees, we are bowing before you. Lord, we want to live a life that is righteous and holy before you. We want to live a life that is pleasing to you, a life that you can use to honor and glorify you. God, that... We can't do that on our own. Father, you have given us, you know, this, this holy reverence you, you want to place in us to help us. So let, let us search our hearts here this morning. God, I pray that you will, you know, take us below the surface. Give us a genuineness with you. And Father, where we need that work to to. to begin to focus on the reverence, Lord, show us. Father, that's our heart's desire. If we've gotten off a track, Lord, I pray that you will get us back on. Thank you, Father, in my son's name.